Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Man worships. Animals do not worship. Plants do not worship. Fish do not worship. Man has an awareness of God. He prays and he seeks truth. Consider Adam. And this is the one that God created perfect in body, soul, and spirit. Adam was the pinnacle of all creation. He willfully and intentionally sinned. He took the fruit from the hand of Eve, knowing the law. And instead of hearkening to the word of God, he listened to Eve. He listened to his heart. He ate, perhaps hoping, hoping to placate her, but surely to show that he was an independent thinker. He was his own man. He sunk his teeth into the fruit, and it was over. That's when humanity fell. The innocence was gone, and he became the first guilty man on the face of the earth. He fell lower than all of creation. That does not mean that he became a scum and uh, just a horrible individual. What it does mean is that he was the only thing created that was separated from God. He began to lie. He began to cast blame. He began to willfully defame others and defend himself. Eventually, his body died. From dust you are and from dust you will return in Genesis 3.19 is what we read. It was akin to stepping from a room filled with brilliant light into a vacuum where there is no light whatsoever. And how do you explain the profound nature of his fall? It's, it's something that we really cannot accurately get our minds around. It was so startling that Adam did something we tend to do when we're scared. He ran, and he was afraid. For the first time, we see fear. Adam was afraid of God. In this, we see the first effects of death. Communion with God was ended. Knowing God and fellowship with him was the reason behind all of creation. This was the chief end of man, to know God. God is perfect, and he's without flaw. He's pure, and he's, he's an absolute moral being in all goodness and grace. In him was life, and his life is the light of all men. To lose sight of this is to lose access to what enlightens men. And once sin entered the picture, the desire for fellowship with God ceased. Worship and awe stopped. Adam and Eve did not go about trying to find God after their rebellion. They did not run behind the trees in search of God. They ran behind the trees in order to hide. They knew that they were exposed and they were ashamed. And as we mentioned before, shame now entered into the picture. They sought to cover themselves, to hide their shame. They sewed fig leaves in an effort to cover up. There was no evidence that would suggest they even worried about finding their way back to God. They became self-consumed and self-absorbed. See what sin does? It makes us extremely self-aware, self-conscious, self-absorbed. And prior to this, you never saw Adam thinking about his personal condition. He didn't even have any awareness of his need for a wife. There were no mirrors in the garden, and Adam had no worries. He concentrated on the work God had given him to do, and he fully enjoyed his fellowship with God. Peace and contentment characterized his life, and God was taking care of everything. A right relationship with God established peace to both the heart and the mind of the individual, 
along with a knowledge of solid security. But in an instance, Adam and Eve became futile in their thinking. They felt they could cover themselves with fig leaves and all of this would suffice. Everything would be okay. They sincerely believed they could hide in the garden that God created. They could hide from the presence of God. It was as if their understanding of the relationship they had enjoyed just a moment earlier had been forgotten. They were confused. They turned immediately to their own ability, and then they began to worry, something they had never previously known. How would they get by? What would they do? What about food and sustenance? Survival now became an issue. How would they survive? Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden, and Adam took his wife and hid among the trees of the garden. They lost the ability to reason. Had they forgotten everything about God? God's knowledge is infinite, but it would appear that they forgot all about this. They went to hide. How are you going to hide from God? Now it seems as if they forgot everything. They no longer understood this. God had to call for them. They didn't greet God in the garden. They made no effort at all to seek him as he approached. The fellowship was broken. The friendship was severed. They sought to cancel God. Man is like this now. Man does not have any desire to know God. We don't have any desire to find him. We have no desire to seek God. No man will seek God now. And we can argue that Adam had a free will. And I would agree with that. Adam had a completely, completely free will. And he was probably the only man ever in humanity to have a free will. And with his free will, he ran from God. He did not seek God. He was covered in shame, and he wanted nothing to do with God. So much for free will. He wanted to hide from God's presence, and he tried desperately to do so. We all have our favorite hiding places, you know. We have work, we have friends, the house, places to hang out, the kids in school. We have hiding places and our hobbies, and we can hide, and we honestly think that we're covered by the greenery of the leaves, but God sees through all these things. He sees everything. We're busy deceiving ourselves. We think it's so profound that we can think through all these ways, but sin blinds us to the obvious. Adam and Eve, in spite of their sinful fall, were able to experience the mercy of God. And in mercy and in tenderness, he called to Adam, and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, without his calling, Adam never would have come, would he? He would have thought, well, I've hidden well, and I'm okay. But it's God who must come calling. It's God who has to call us. And we have to note that when he called, the response of Adam was immediate. Where are you? Adam answered. Yes, he started out with excuses. He did, but he did answer. He blamed God for giving him Eve. Eve then blamed the serpent. But God was patient and gracious. He provided a covering for them both. And for us, he's provided a covering. For us, it's Jesus Christ, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. The Lamb of God was slain. Then, after covering Adam and Eve, God sent them out of the garden, and from here on out, the man had to till the soil and cultivate the ground. The wages of sin are so high. But when God calls to you, what do you say? Where are you, he says. Well, what are you hiding from? What excuses do you offer? What explanation can you give? What a mess we've made of life. But then we ask, what does all this have to do with me? 
Well, there's a great deal more involved here. Sure, we all sin. You, me, him, and her, we all sin. We're in this together. We sin because there's a deep unity in mankind. We sin because all of us, every one of us, are sinners by birth and by choice. It's who we are. It's not what we do. We do what we do because of who and what we are. In Adam, all men die. It's not possible for us not to sin. There's not one of us, you, me, him, or her, who's able not to sin. St. Augustine expressed it in this way. Non posse, non peccari. It is not possible not to sin. There's been a radical corruption in the spirit of man. The fall and original sin, it's not something where we focus only on Eve offering fruit to Adam. The fall encompasses radical consequences of that sin, which followed all future generations of mankind. The Bible is very, very clear on this. God holds the entire human race guilty of sin because of Adam. In the final summation, Adam fathered the human race, and we inherited his genes. And we, consequently, are like our father. Seriously, sit down and consider what I'm saying here. Some folks find this hard to accept. There's no sense of fair play here. And justice, this, this injustice, this is guilt by imputation. Why would God hold me guilty for the sins of another man? That's not fair. That's not right. To many, this is just outrageous, and it casts a real shadow on the equity and the fairness of God. And yet, God created all things and does all things according to the wisdom that he holds. And somehow we believe that we can judge his equity. We know what's right and wrong. We're the one that did wrong. No jury in the world, we say, would hold this up as a fair and just thing. No guilt by association. No guilt comes by imputation. And what this means is we get credited with Adam's sin. And every individual gets credited with Adam's sin. That's called guilt by imputation. Most of us don't like to think about things like this. We don't like to think them through because it brings us to a dead end. There's no escape that thought. Why am I guilty of sin? Well, I did sin. But why did I sin? Well, I did wrong. I chose to. But why would you choose that way? We shake our heads and we move along. I have a job to do. I got to be to work on time. Now, I live in a small town in the Appalachian Mountains. And a lot of people think of it as a romantic little place nestled in the hills of Kentucky. And some are surprised to hear that we have drugs, rape, theft, political corruption, murder, all of these things that are packed into the borders of our small, sparsely populated county. Rural America truly is being decimated with illicit drugs. We have big sins, and we have little sins in our tiny little town. But where does all this come from if the Bible is incorrect, as some people claim? Now, I agree with most that these are the failings of individual people. That's true. And where you get a lot of people together, you get a lot of failing, right? The bigger the city, the more crime you find. But a chain smoker should not be surprised and blame others if and when diagnosed with a terminal lung cancer. It would be ludicrous for that individual to imagine as a basis for a lawsuit or to blame their illness on somebody else. They earned the lung cancer that they have. They actually paid for the privilege with each pack of cigarettes they purchased. They worked for it. With each cigarette they smoked. They earned their wages, so to speak. 
What about those who suffer maladies, though, for no reason? What about the small baby who has an inoperable brain tumor? What did he do? What about the lady whose ankles have collapsed and she's required to sit in a wheelchair for the rest of her life? Or the young man that I personally know who is having great success at a major university as a stellar athlete and suddenly he's stricken with leukemia and he passes away. How do you explain all that? Some say good and evil have been around since the beginning of time and they are close to being right. Except for a period of time prior to the fall of Adam, good and bad have always been here. Life has always had this push and the pull, opposing forces working against one another. This does not answer anything, though. It denies the real problem, but it recognizes that indeed there is a problem. This says it's always been there, but denies it had a beginning. But sin has a starting point. Everything has a first mentioning. When, where, how, and why? These are the questions we ask when we start to pull back the skins of the onion and examine where is the starting point. Eastern thought has given us the idea of reincarnation. We used to be someone or somebody else in a previous life, and today we have a movie out that's called A Dog's Purpose, and it talks about a dog named Bailey. Bailey gets reincarnated several times. And during the process of reincarnation, he picks up bits and pieces of life and he grows in maturity and understanding of love and commitment. And he matures. He does some bad things, though. And because of this, he has to pay for the malicious deeds in the next reincarnation. And this is actually a pretty good effort on how to explain the sin and how we pay for it individually. But it betrays a life cycle that's very similar to the hydrological cycle. The rain that comes down, it replenishes the earth with water, but then it evaporates and goes right back up, and eventually it comes back down, and it does the same thing over and over. And it's, a, it's not a true-to-life representation of anything. But it all sounds good. But let's ask this question. How did that individual become a wrongdoer in the previous life? The answer provided by reincarnation ignores that issue. It never answers the question, where did sin come from? How did all this get started? There are no other answers. You try to find it. God's word gives us the most satisfactory answer we can find. Sin came through Adam, and it affects the entire human race, you, me, him, and her. And due to God's judgment, we're all condemned to die. How did this come in? It came in through our representative, Adam. We refer to him as the federal head that represented all of us. When he fell, we all fell, and sin reigned in death according to Romans 5, verse 21. And here we are now. That was the entrance of our ability and desire to do wrong. But it doesn't end there, not even close. Finish reading the verse, Romans 5, 21. Read it in its entirety. It finishes up by saying, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The fall of man was a tragedy, but the grace of God is a miracle. And we, we find these things out as we look deeper into the origins of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.